Welcome to our podcast today on small business horsepower. I'm so pleased today to have Meda Parliker join our program today on Small Business Horsepower. I've known Meda for over 20 years in her family. She's a great friend, but I really wanted her on this podcast because she's amazing at what she does. In fact, I don't want to waste time. Let's get right into it. Meda, tell us a little bit about your background for our guest today on Small Business Horsepower, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. It's it's a pleasure. I'm really flattered that you wanted to chat with me. I can talk a little bit about myself. I've been in San Diego for 28 years, and I've had this wonderful career in technology with a lot of fantastic San Diego companies, uh, namely in the software as a service space. And now I'm really excited to be one of the frontliners in blockchain technology. So, uh, you know, I kind of fell into the blockchain rabbit hole in 2017 uh, when a friend of mine approached me to manage a technical team for an open source blockchain project that he was uh, tasked, you know, he won the contract to basically build that protocol and reached out to me because he needed engineering leadership. And it's been a wild ride, you know, for the past two and a half years, but it's been incredibly fulfilling and a lot of fun to say the least. That's great. And then you, your background, though, is amazing. Like you also tell me a little bit, you worked at MP3 and, and some other companies in tax software and you've done it all. Give me a little bit on your background there. Yeah, for sure. So I started working, I started actually working with computers back in the early 80s. You know, didn't really realize what a huge difference or a huge, uh, you know, kind of made me an outlier, right? I didn't realize that 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 exposure really made me an outlier amongst my peers. But been working with computers and computing since the early 80s. Uh, First kid in the dorm, only kid in the dorm to work with a word processor. I've been using word processing technology for almost, you know, 34, 35 years now and kind of fell into technology, came back to it after college when I moved to San Diego. And I started, you know, laying networking cable for Novell 3.1 networks uh, back in the early 90s. And then went back to school to become a software engineer, computer programmer, actually. Went through the Y2K panic. And then uh, around 1999, after having written code for about, you know, three to four years, then went to go work for mp3.com. And then that entire dot-com boom was just a crazy roller coaster ride, followed by the bus where I started doing offshore, actually. I started doing offshore consulting with a friend of mine out of Mumbai. And started working remotely, actually, in about 2006, 2007. Worked for Website Story, which is a, you know iconic San Diego company in technology. And uh, stayed with that acquisition through uh, to where they were acquired by Adobe. And my background was mostly in quality assurance, uh, quality assurance for software. Uh, firmly in the what they call now the cloud software, right? But for me, it wasn't cloud. It was really just software as a service since 1999, back in the early, early days of the internet. And then I went to go work after Adobe, you know, Omniture, uh, then uh, took a little bit of a break and went and did, uh, came back to it uh, working for Avalara. I worked for some startups in between, some that went boom, some that went bust. And then I wound up at Avalara where I was there for six years at one of their senior directors of engineering and was with that company from, you know, I was employee 150 and then left when there was about 1,100 employees in that company. And then met a lot of great people. And one of those individuals that I met with, you know, brought me into blockchain. So I've worked a lot with, uh, you know, large scale production systems. 
And, uh, you know, I've been able to use that experience and that leadership experience to help me, you know, co-found Casper Labs. What a background that is. And I'll be honest with you, Mida, here. I understand Y2K. I mean, my brain worked that far. Like I could understand what that was about. But when it comes to Bitcoin, cryptocurrency and all this stuff, it is way over my head. So I'm so excited to have you on the program today to tell our listeners at Small Business Horsepower in layman's terms what this is all about. I mean, I I was just preparing for the show. I was watching you on a YouTube program and the host was asking a bunch of questions and every answer and every question went right over my head. So I'm thinking, let me get to Mida to get the basics here. Tell us about this cryptocurrency. The one thing before I ask you, the one thing I do know is we had talked a little bit offline and you said, something interesting because you wanted it to relate to what I could relate to from my previous history, which is imagine a letter of credit and all the things that go in to making that transaction when you don't know another party. And then you were saying what we do could solve that problem. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I'm going to talk about this in very, very basic layman's terms and, you know, for for your listeners. And I feel like it's, that's how you can kind of realize the promise of this technology, this incredible technology. So Putting Bitcoin aside, we'll talk about it in just very generic terms, right? So everybody knows that you have bank account and bank accounts and your bank balance in the final analysis, it really doesn't refer to, you know, you actually storing cash in the bank, right? It really are numbers in the ledger. So your bank balance is overwhelmingly all digital, right? Your employers or your customers electronically transfer money to you and that's stored in some kind of a ledger at your bank. While banking institutions are wholly centrally controlled, right? So Wells Fargo doesn't really know what Bank of America is doing and vice versa. So if I need to send you money, you know, on my accounts at Wells Fargo and yours is at Bank of America, the two banking institutions have to agree And they have to agree on a few things. One, that I have the money to send to you. And two, that you actually have an account upon which you can receive said funds. And so this notion of being able to send money from one party to another is basically what blockchain technology is all about. But what it does is it makes it possible to do this without Wells Fargo or Bank of America necessarily being involved. And it creates an environment where any group of parties can engage in a transaction, even though they have absolutely no trust with each other. And the technology enables this because what it does is it keeps a public, unchangeable ledger. And that ledger is referred to the blockchain. And we won't go into the details in terms of how the blockchain can be trusted. But there's a lot of layers, right, to this onion to to understand how it is that blockchain can be trusted. But you can take my word for it that there are technologies that within the blockchain infrastructure that enable it to be a completely trustless environment. So if you imagine that you don't need Bank of America and Wells Fargo to agree that I have the money and that you have an account, the computer software just takes care of it. There's a whole world of opportunity and things that come about as a result of that. 
And some of the really amazing things are, is that you can now have communities of individuals create economies where individuals can transact with each other, right? So if you think about it in the old days, before the internet, you had this notion of Main Street, right? Um, You had brick and mortar uh, institutions that would then provide services to customers. And it was very much business to consumer via Main Street. And now with the internet, you see B2C happening much, much more through e-commerce means. And so what you can see is you can now transact with individuals in different jurisdictions and you can just ship goods and products to them. And there's a certain amount of trust that say Amazon can do, right? There's a, there's a higher level of enablement where Main Street retailers don't necessarily need brick and mortar to transact. Now they can transact using e-commerce and digital commerce. But I believe blockchain is going to bring out another paradigm, which is going to be consumer to consumer transactions. So you could imagine that, for example, if I have, you know, six or seven orange trees in my yard and I have this phenomenal crop of oranges, and if I wanted to engage in either a transaction or a barter transaction, I can do that via blockchain technology with my neighbor and we could tokenize that transaction and I don't need any middle person in between to transact. I don't need a bank. I don't need a financial institution. I don't need PayPal. I don't need any of it, right? It's possible to do it via Venmo today or by PayPal, but it could even be abstracted even more to where you can create stores of value for things like even rewards programs, right? So imagine a system where right now, if you go to a restaurant or a chain of restaurants, say like the Landry's gift card, right? A restaurant chain, and I create, get rewards, they could even consider tokenizing those rewards or creating a store value for that each reward point. And there's a lot more you could do with those rewards. Theoretically, maybe you could, you know, trade them or, or pool them with other people's resources. And now suddenly you have a whole bunch more rewards and there's a lot more things you can do. So there's very interesting new business models that are emerging out of this technology where you can basically quantify those things that couldn't be quantifiable before. So that's the first thing you're starting to see. The second thing you have is programmable money, which is where the letter of credit problem can be solved, right? Where the escrow problem is a very easy thing to solve with blockchain because the blockchain actually becomes the escrow entity, right? So if you and I don't trust each other, we can basically put our money into a smart contract and the smart contract becomes the the holding entity, for those funds until certain number of events happen and at which point the funds are released, right? So you could imagine if I was to ship something to you and upon receipt, upon delivery, FedEx scans and says, okay, I've delivered this to her. And at that point, the monies are released. So you know you have your product and I know I don't have to pay before your product is delivered, but you have a guarantee that those funds are locked in a contract and I can't cheat you. Right. That's basically the letter of credit problem. Yeah, boy, I learned a lot there. And and what I'm really thinking about is that idea where the reason you have a storefront on Main Street is you walk in, you pick up something to buy. The person has to look you in the eye and trust you that you're going to hand the money over and all that. But now that, like you said, we do all these transactions from home. And we don't go to that storefront. We don't need to. This will eliminate that in a way. It also, which I shouldn't tell the story, but 
I will. I was a college student and my dad was so pepped up on making sure he sold my Volkswagen Beetle. So this guy came to buy it and it's another story for another podcast, but he basically drove away with the car. So those things can be avoided, I think, with with this blockchain, you know. But let me ask you a question here then. I mean, why does like, for example, I was looking this up, Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, he called Bitcoin and all of this stuff a rat poison squared. I read something, Bill Gates says that all of this stuff can be used for tax evasion, money laundering, and so on. When I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about it the other way. I'm saying this could avoid all of those things. So tell me what Where is that kind of disagreement between smart parties, if you will? So it's interesting, you know, your listeners have heard a little bit about my background, right? So I remember I was there in the early days of the internet and I remember a time, and I'm sure you remember a time too, where people are like, oh, don't put your webs, don't put your credit card in that website. Do not, do not use electronic commerce. Do not, because if you put your credit card into a website, you're going to get your credit card information stolen. I remember it clear as day, right, that the early days of the internet, it was used, there was a big assertion that it was being used for illegal activity. It was being used for, you know, less than uh, honorable things such as pornography, right? In the early days of the internet, the same assertions were made, right? And if you really look back at the internet and how it revolutionized industries, The internet revolutionized two industries, like really, like when you say revolutionized, it really turned them upside down on their head. And the two industries are content delivery, any kind of content, uh, written content, digital content, right? Uh, Media, and that is music, video, and newspaper, classifieds, right? All of these, this entire paradigm was completely, it was a fundamental shift. And then the other paradigm that was shifted was retail. Right. And we saw retail really go through a transformation, right? Like again, from Main Street to e-commerce. And that transformation is going to continue to happen. I I think COVID has definitely pushed it along significantly. I don't see that going away. But we know that e-commerce is here to stay. We also know, and I worked at mp3.com and we saw the future of digital music. We saw the future of digital content delivery. We saw, you know, music being streamed over Wi-Fi. We were just way too early because we needed to wait for bandwidth for silicone to catch up. And with blockchain, the two industries that are going to be dramatically affected by blockchain technology are going to be the finance industry and is going to be the legal industry. Now, these two industries have emerged from the internet pretty much unscathed, right? Things like the way you sell your house is exactly the same today as it was 20 years ago. Nothing really changed as a result of the internet when you talk about what it takes to buy and sell a home. Similarly, when you talk about legal contracts and how legal contracts are managed, none of that really changed. You know, you saw legal Zoom appear where it's easier to get access to legal documents, but that's not really a fundamental shift. Similarly with banking, yes, you can now do online banking, but really the mechanics of banking and finance is really the same, right? There hasn't been a fundamental, like, a paradigm shift in those in those economies. Uh, my assertion is in the next 15 to 20 years, and I don't think it's going to happen in three to five. These are slow things, right? It took 
a good 10 to 15 years for Amazon to really become dominant in the e-commerce and for e-commerce to get broadly adopted. And I think the same thing's going to happen with blockchain, but it's here to stay. And while JP Morgan Chase came out and said that blockchain was a fraud, Bitcoin wasn't going anywhere, you know, 18 months ago, now we have the JP Morgan Chase blockchain, right? They all, every single banking institution is prototyping a blockchain project. So you can be sure that they are, they are not dummies. They know that this technology is here to stay and they're going to do their very best to capitalize on it. Yeah, and I was just reading in 2020, Bitcoin market cap, it said past 500 billion. It's more valuable than Visa right now. Yeah, and I would say it's trading close to 50,000 today, right? And a year ago. And so Bitcoin, there's a lot to unpack with Bitcoin, right? When you talk about a store of value. But really, if you think about what it takes to transport gold from one entity to the other, Bitcoin is like digital gold. Bitcoin is a currency for computers, right? The reality is, is that the current financial system cannot keep up with the speed that computers need to transact for the internet. It's just too slow. You know, SWIFT takes three days to transmit money from one entity to the other. And that isn't the speed at which business is happening now, right? With the internet, with globalization and, you know, cross currency and cross country markets. Three days, it's a long time to have business operations tied up waiting for SWIFT, right? I can send a Bitcoin transaction and I can transact up to any number of Bitcoin. Like I could send $100 million of Bitcoin and it will reach its destination in hours. And for the same price, if I send $100 million of Bitcoin and if I send $100 of Bitcoin, it's the same cost, right? So the Bitcoin blockchain doesn't care about how much Bitcoin I'm sending the algorithm or the, the computer software will just charge me a transaction fee and the transaction fee is what it is. There's no sliding scale. This is one of the beautiful things with cryptocurrency is that the transaction fees don't really care about the amount that you're transacting. You can transact whatever quantities and whatever amounts you want. The transaction fee is purely based on the capacity of the, of the underlying protocol. Amazing. And when I was doing research on you for this podcast today, by the way, speaking of that, you're listening to Medha Parlicker today. I'm so happy to have her. She's amazing as a guest today on Small Business Horsepower. Uh, Medha, I was, when I was researching back to this, you made an interesting comment on another program, which was this whole thing about it's going to take seven years for this stuff to really gel. And we went through the same thing with the iPhone, with all this stuff. These things take time. My question to you is, from the business side of things, when you know that it's going to take these startups and these technologies are going to take seven years before everything that you just talked about for the last 20 minutes is going to happen. How do you get investors to fasten their seatbelts and stay with you? Is that, that must be an art in itself, knowing that it's not going to be a quick turnaround. Well, our investors are, we have pretty phenomenal investors. Uh, you know, Taryn Pizer, who's one of the Z-Ligs of Wall Street, he is, one of his claims to fame is that he's never sold any stock in any of his companies. So his philosophy is that he invests in companies, he invests in a vision. And, uh, you know, we have a very strong vision, you know, my co-founder and I, in terms of what it is we're building. 
And our investors aren't here to make a quick buck, right? They see the vision for the company. We have a plan on how we're going to get there. And I think just, you know, observing how the team is executing is what's giving them faith. And, you know, when I talk about seven years, seven to 10 years, I'm talking about, you know, ubiquity, right? I'm talking about crossing the chasm. There's still a tremendous amount of opportunity to be had between now and then, right? Because financial institutions, they see the writing on the wall and they have the resources to invest in exploring this technology, right? So when I talk about seven years, I'm talking about, well, how long is it going to take before you know, Bitcoin becomes potentially the reserve currency, right? The, one of the first countries in the world actually announced Bitcoin becoming their reserve currency. I think it's going to take five to seven years before Bitcoin potentially could become a real contender for being the reserve currency for the world. And a lot of the layer two solutions, right? Like nobody actually transacts in gold, right? But we hear about gold-backed currencies. So it isn't out of the realm of possibility to look at, you know, a Bitcoin or what we call a stable coin currency becoming ubiquitous and eventually replacing something like, you know, the digital dollar, for example, where all our entire financial infrastructure gets uplifted. And this doesn't come without a dark side, right? Like I feel it incumbent upon me to, you know, to be aware of as I'm building out this technology that it does come with a dark side. And the dark side is potentially that there's a higher level of traceability. It's actually much, much harder to commit fraud and illegal activity using blockchain because Imagine if the ledger is public, right? The Bitcoin ledger is an absolute public ledger. If you go to Bitcoin.com, you can look at the Bitcoin blockchain ledger and you can see every single transaction that's happened on Bitcoin since it started. And that transparency can be a little bit daunting and intimidating, right? So there's there comes some privacy concerns around this too, right? And the Bitcoin addresses are what we call pseudo-anonymous. They're not fully anonymous, but they're pseudo-anonymous just in the same way that our social security numbers are pseudo-anonymous, right? It's a number associated with an identity, but unless I reveal my social security number to you, you can't unlock into the information associated with my social security number. It's something like that, right? Where there's a bunch of numbers on a ledger, you don't know who those numbers correspond to. That's amazing. Mitha, in the time we have left, the other thing I was that you talked about in an interview, so I want to end with this and have to invite you back. There's just so much to get into is that you were talking about the perception of women in this field. There was a perception that women in this kind of tech field can't really do the job in building scalable businesses and so on and so forth. And, and you've been, you're working on it. You've been able to do that. So I'm very happy with what you've been able to do. And you talked also about following your truth and the truth in yourself. So as we wrap up, talk a little bit about women in this business and how you've been able to sustain that. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack here. That's almost another whole podcast. But like briefly, so one, I do believe that women in technology, women in male dominated fields, we can generalize this, right? This isn't necessarily about women in tech specifically, but technology is a very male dominated field for a variety of reasons, which I won't go into here, but women do need to follow their truth. I find that most of the times we're our own worst enemy and that we don't necessarily believe enough in ourselves to speak up when we know, when we believe we have an opinion that should be heard, it's we who really need to double down on that. And I think this is something that applies to women anywhere, any walk of life, right? If you have an intuition or you have something that you think you need to say, you shouldn't be afraid to speak up and say it. 
And more often than not, we tend to silence our own voices much, much more than others silencing it for ourselves. Namely, because I think women are afraid to fail. They're afraid to be told that their ideas may not have merit. Whereas, you know, and I think it's a gender difference. I think it's really a gender issue. But I find that there's a lot more power in looking at ourselves internally and saying, well, what could I have done differently? Because in the final analysis, that is really the only thing you have true sovereignty over. That's the only thing you really control. It's very difficult to control somebody else's actions, but we have full control over our own. So my advice to women is that speak up when you have the opportunity to speak up and understand you have more power than you may be giving yourself. That's probably the biggest thing I learned in my career as of late is that don't be afraid to own your own power and own your own sovereignty and speak up and believe that you can have all of these things, right? You know, technical skills notwithstanding, I think that that's really the heavy lift for most women in the space. Wow. Well, you've certainly done a great job and I'm really excited to see where Casper Labs goes and how this all unfolds. And I really want to thank you for coming on our program today on Small Business Horsepower. We really enjoyed having you. I hope that you'll come back and join us again on Small Business Horsepower so we can get into all these other questions that I still have left. I'd be happy to come back on. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you to Mida for joining us today on Small Small Business Horsepower.